visitation. Hear the Spirit call. Welcome to another podcast of Dr. Leslie Bakupong. Be blessed as you listen. Hallelujah. Just begin to bless the name of the Lord. Just give him glory. Praise his holy name. This morning I was asking God, what would you do for your people this morning? He said, it's a morning for solutions. I don't know what burden you came here with. I'm not going to preach about solutions, but because Jesus is here, he's bringing solutions to your problems. Amen. He's bringing finality to a certain burden upon your heart. Yeah. And as we sing this song, I, I want you to just imagine how big God is. The fact that it's bigger than any tribulation you may be going through. It's bigger than any financial challenge you may be. It's bigger than any, any controversy in your house. Anything that gives you sleepless nights. Jesus is bigger. He's greater. At the center of it all is you that I see, is you that I see. Oh. At the center of it all is you that I see, is you that I see. There is power in your name. There is power in your name. Miracles happening in your name. Miracles happening in your name. As we lift up voice, we pray. As we lift up voice, we pray. It's you that I see. It's you that I see. It's you that I see. At the center, at the center of it all, 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 at the 
How many of you are excited to be in church this morning? It's always good to be in church. Hallelujah. And how many of you are ready for the word of God this morning? Hallelujah. Now, I've been teaching you on the series on the church for some time now. On Wednesday, we took a little break and had an iron sharpening iron service. How many of you were blessed by that service? It was, it was powerful. Yeah, some of you can lift up your hand for obvious reasons. Repent. Hallelujah. It was a wonderful service. We, we blessed each other with the word of God and some awesome testimonies that lifted up our faith. Before the testimony time, I told you that the root Hebrew word for the word testimony is the word ehut, which means do it again. So when we give testimonies, we are creating an atmosphere for faith to well up in somebody's heart and somebody's spirit. For God to do that which he has done again. Hallelujah. I pray that some of the testimonies will be replicated in the lives of others. Those who are trusting God for similar testimonies, God will meet them at their point of their need. Amen. So today I'm continuing with a series on the check. Last week Wednesday, I mentioned to you that there are a lot of images of the church that we see in the Bible. There are a lot of things that are used to represent the church. At certain points in time, the church is described as a body. At certain points in time, it's described as a family. At certain points in time, it's described as a workforce. In other places, it's described as an army. So there are a lot of images of the church. But how many of you like weddings? How many of you like weddings? Alright. So at a point, the church is also described as a bride. As a bride. And today I'm talking about the church as a bride. The church as a bride. The church as a bride. How many of you know there will be a, a wedding feast in heaven? How many of you know there will be a wedding feast in heaven? Amen. Now, God's relationship with Israel mirrors his relationship with the church. Alright? There are a lot of things that apply to Israel in the old covenant which apply to us, those of us in the new covenant. And the portions of scripture that show that God saw himself as a husband to Israel. Aside the fact that he was their father and everything, he was also their husband. Alright? Let's read Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32. It said, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant did break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. So God saw himself as a husband to Israel. Alright? That is why at certain points in time, Israel is referred to as Beulah. Your homework is to go and find out the meaning of Beulah. Alright? So God saw himself as a husband to Israel. When Jesus then came, the Jews rejected him. So God had to find another bride for Jesus Christ. And this time, he didn't limit it to the Jews. He brought the Gentiles also in. Hallelujah. And that is the church. 
that is you and I. Now, the first point I want to establish is the fact that the church is feminine. Hallelujah. The church is feminine. In the Bible, there's no doubt that Jesus Christ is male. If you doubt, at least we know from Isaiah that he had a beard. Talked about his beard in Isaiah. And I was telling them at Anatalo yesterday that the fact that Jesus Christ had a beard is evidence of the fact that he had testosterone. So he was a normal human being like you and I. I was iterating the fact that it was a big risk for God to send Jesus Christ. It was such a risky. If you understand what the risk was and the fact that Jesus managed to succeed, you salute Jesus every day when you wake up. Why was it the risk? If Jesus had sinned even once, his blood wouldn't have been worthy to cleanse anybody of any sin. So God could have decided that because of this risk, I'm going to accelerate your life. You won't spend nine months in the womb. So separation. So first man. No, but listen, you are ready. Ready to be given birth to. You are born. Okay. In two months or you are six years old. Twelve years old. This teenage time that is very risky with hormones and let me let you skip it. So from twelve years old, you are thirty years. Okay, ready. Start your ministry. Hurry up. Finish and go. But he went through what every one of us went through. And the Bible said he was tempted in every way. The Bible has no time to list all the temptations. So the fact that he had a beard means he had testosterone. Testosterone is responsible for producing beard and it's responsible for producing libido. Hallelujah. So Jesus was a normal human being like you and I. Face the same temptations that you faced. But the Bible says, yet he was without sin. I think he deserves a big round of applause. <laughs> if he had sinned one, the mission would have been dead. Finish. And Satan knowing that, I'm sure the kind of temptations he brought Jesus with. The Bible didn't have time to tell us all. There were better things to talk about. So when the Bible says, tempted in every way, Tempted with lust, women, uh, money, uh, whatever, everything. I'm sure the devil threw all his arsenal at him to make sure at least you won't be there. Once he contaminates his blood like this, number mission accomplished for him, for Satan. Now he was able to endure everything. But, but that's not what I'm preaching about. Hallelujah. Yeah, I was talking about the fact that the church is feminine. So if God sees, I was telling you that when God sees the church, he sees us as the universal church first. Before you even see overflow and see present and see this and this. When I see Kofi, I see Kofi first. Before if I was zooming on his eyes or his nose, I was zooming. So when he sees the church, he sees us as one first and foremost. That's why we are called the body of Christ. We all come together to form the body of Christ. And this body I'm talking about is not a masculine body. It doesn't have six pack. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a masculine body at all. It is a feminine body. Hallelujah. It's a feminine body. 
So the church is feminine. That is why I have a problem with those who stand on one or two scriptures and teach that women should be in the background in church. Women should not minister. Women should not teach. Women should not be put in leadership positions because of one or two scriptures. If you subject that teaching to the five steps of testing doctrine that I gave to you, it will fail at number three. You fail at number three. And I'll prove it to you. You see, a lot of people base it on First Corinthians chapter 14 or 34. The church is very feminine. Even Jesus' ministry was women who were holding it. The men were their faces, but the behind the scenes. Jesus was moving about. He needed to be eaten and stuff. It was Martha, Mary. They were their fuel behind the anointing. We never saw a man come to sow big seed. The woman with the alabaster box. Bah, like that. No wonder when you go to church, you see more women than men. The men, Sunday, don't want to go and drink beer. First Corinthians chapter 14 or 34. It said, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience. As also saith the law. So people stand on this and they say, no, no, no. Women shouldn't speak in church. Some places they have been made to be at the back. While the men are in front. Women shouldn't speak. But you see, as I told you, when you are testing doctrine. Yes, the thing may be in the Bible. The source may be the Bible. The word of God. Everything. But that's why there are five levels of testing. By the time you reach number three, which is consistency with the rest of scripture, it would have failed. Because this thing was... A solution to a local problem in the church of Corinth. I don't know what it was about the women there. Maybe the women were some way. Some way spirit. The women were some way. So Paul had to strictly bring in some rules just to curb the problem there. But it's not consistent with the rest of scripture. Because when you go further, later, you realize that there were women who were ministering in the New Testament church. And I'll show you a few. There was even a female apostle. Let's look at Romans 16, 7. It was a female apostle. It says, Salute Andronicus and who? Junia. Junia. Not Junia. <laughs> it's Junia. <laughs> Andronicus is a male name. Junia is a female name. And what does he go on to say? My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the who? Apostles. So there was a female apostle in the church. And this was Paul himself addressed. So that is why we know that statement he made concerning the church of Corinth. It was a local church problem that he was trying to solve. He wouldn't salute a female apostle if fundamentally it was wrong to have a female apostle. There was something about the church of Corinth which necessitated the woman being made to keep quiet. I'm sure it was just temporary. So there was an apostle who was a female. There were females who were prophesying in church. Acts chapter 21, 8 to 9. Prophecy is a vocal gift. So if really females are supposed to keep quiet in church, then why should we be allowing females to prophesy in the church? He said, then the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip 
the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. Next. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did what? Prophesy. Not one, not two, three, four. And they were prophesied. Prophecy is a vocal gift. You can't prophesy in your heart. You have to speak. Because it's, it's a gift that edifies the body of Christ. So there were women in the church. I don't want to belabor the point. But you let me give you one more. Another scripture that people use is First Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. Let's see. It said, but I suffer not a woman to teach, not to usurp the authority over the man, but to be in silence. So women should not teach. But let's look at what happens in Acts chapter 18, 24 to 26. When Apollos was introduced onto the scene, Apollos later became a mainstay in the church. He said, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, the man could speak, and mighty in the scriptures, that means he knew the word, came unto Ephesus. Next. This is a mighty man, he knew scriptures, like anointed God. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. That means even though he was anointed, he knew the scriptures. His knowledge was limited. But there were some people who knew deeper things. Next. He said, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Whom, when Aquila and who Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them. That means, you know, but there are some other things. And expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Priscilla and Aquila. The giant Apollos himself, diligent, anointed, knew scriptures, but his knowledge was limited. So Priscilla and Aquila said, come to our house. They sat him down and took him, gave him Bibles, they taught him the more excellent way. Hallelujah. If it was only Aquila that taught him, we would have been told. They said Priscilla and Aquila, they took him to their house and educated him properly. So this whole thing about women shouldn't teach. It was a local problem he was trying to deal with. Hallelujah. So women are essential to the ministry. Essential to the ministry. The first non-Jew to speak about the kingdom of God was a woman. The woman at the well. First non-Jew to proclaim the kingdom of God. It was a woman at the well. So women have a very strategic role to play in church. I was talking to one pastor. He was like, oh, in ministry, if you just have faithful women in the church, the ministry will go on. The men, they, are, they, are, they have ambitions. <laughs> they are always thinking about other things. But when the women decide that they are serving God, they are serving God. And that is it. So the church is feminine. Everybody say the church is feminine. The brothers don't be offended. The church is feminine. The fact that the church is feminine doesn't mean it doesn't have masculine properties. Even God who is masculine, he has some feminine properties. When you call him El Shaddai, El Shaddai is feminine. The Hebrew word for breast is Shad. S-H-A-D. So El Shaddai means the mighty breasted one. 
Right, we are in church, so we shouldn't say breast. <laughs> El Shaddai. So when you are saying El Shaddai, that is what you mean. Mighty breasted one. That's what it means. There was a lady, the guys were calling him El Shaddai behind her back. She thought it was because she was godlike or godly. <laughs> but it's better to be called El Shaddai than to be called Cowbell. Our milk. <laughs> At least El Shaddai is more respectable. <laughs> Somebody was being called Cowbell behind her back. She was too generous with him. So it's our it's like collective milk. All of us benefit. Our milk. Cowbell. So even though the church is feminine, it has masculine properties. When we talk about the church as an army, see that in uh, ordinance some testosterone is in the system. Militant. Women are usually not militant. But some women. <laughs> People go to the police station and report that my wife has beaten me. Such a thing, when it happens, keep it to yourself. Nest your wounds at home. Because when you write the report and they read, beaten by what? They'll look at you again. Hi, brother man. Your wife is beating you. So, the church is expected to have some qualities that are feminine. Hallelujah. Like compassion. Compassion is supposed to be a feminine thing. Even though not all men are compassionate. Some nurses, when they are going to inject you, eh, they don't care whether you are in pain. Give it to you. Like that. When I was a student, when I was catching babies, I was in the labor ward. And there was a woman who had just delivered and she was in a recovery ward and like not recovery, she was lying down there. She was just moaning, moaning. She called the nurse. Nurse, nurse. Baby, hear me, there's something wrong. Oh, your co-. And she called the nurse again. And nurse like, ah, at the one You think you are the only one who has delivered all of us we have delivered here before. Eh? It's just, this one has this number of children. This one has this one. Meanwhile, the person was there suffering. No compassion. And she would call again, and now it was like two of them who had come together and were telling, You cry, you are some way. The next time we realized the woman was quiet. When they checked, she wasn't breathing. Then one resident was coming. He realized what the problem was. They came. Now that the woman wasn't breathing, Oh, Washeda, Washeda. She's just looking for attention. This one, she likes attention. The resident put youth aside and address the woman well. The long and short is that the woman died. That's what the last office is one of time to do that. That one the person is dead already. If you had answered the first call, she probably would have lived. So it's not a woman who have compassion. But in the same word I saw another midwife. This woman walked in uh, labor, second stage. And she was not attendant. Like she just got there. They had to, not knowing she was a sickle cell patient, like a lot of complications. So the baby was coming out of her that. This woman wore her gloves quickly, delivered the first baby, not knowing it was twins. So with her face still in the perineum, 
the second amniotic sac burst into her face and her mouth and everything. But this woman composed herself. Didn't run away to think of herself to go and wash her face first. Composed herself as if nothing had happened. And delivered the baby safely. Before she went and washed her face. This is, this is a woman with compassion. Hallelujah. So the church is expected to have compassion. Even though the church is all of us, it is individuals that make up the church. So we are supposed to walk with compassion. Jesus was a very compassionate person. In fact, one of the things that stirred up Jesus' anointing was compassion. The Bible talks about the fact that he was moved with compassion. Whenever he was moved with compassion, the anointing was stirred up for him to heal somebody. Something, cast out a demon or something like that. The church should be a compassionate church. That is why it's good for churches to make donations to orphanages. To the less privileged. Some of you, you are suspicious of everybody. Anybody who comes to ask for you ask money from you is 419. Even the little, little children. The little one CD that you give, which is the same thing that you give to God anyway. <laughs> you have made up your mind that everybody that you see who asks you for money is 419. Yes, it's true. There are 419 people. There's some guy who walks around in Kolebuye. I don't know why he, he doesn't realize the fact that by now he has been figured out. The story is the same. And I came from Winneba and I've realized I don't have money. I need to go back. I'm sure some of you have encountered him before. Some black guy like that. And if you don't know and you have compassion, you give him the money. You go to the next person. He's just accumulating money like that. So the time one guy came to me, oh, he swept me nicely. The guy, I mean, I, I have to recommend him for Nollywood and Gollywood. A very good actor came and gave a very nice story. He said his wife came to deliver. The child was taken to Niku. The child is in Niku at the moment. The wife didn't make it. She died. While he was talking, was, he was shedding tears. And he doesn't have any money. He needs to pay some money at Niku. And this and this and that and that and that. I didn't even wait for him to finish talking. And you see, when somebody talks like that, you don't give one CD or two CD. You give some things after. I'll give it to him. I went home. And my wife gave me a similar story. Another time I was there, the same guy, I think he had forgotten that he had made me a victim before. He came. I waited for him to finish his story. <laughs> I won't tell you what I told him. <laughs> uh, you can't fool me twice, though. <laughs> The first one you got me, but not this time round. Not at all. So as for crooks, they are, they are there. Nowadays people will call you. They will, they will send you a text message. And it's like a mobile money alert. That some money has fallen into your mobile money account. Oh, some thousand CDs. They will call you, oh please, please. I was sending money to somebody. And it happened to me. Oh, please send it back to me. How many of you have experienced that one before? Now the other one too is that they will call you and tell you. Um, what do you call it? He's a malam. And somebody has brought your name to his shrine. And they have come to pay some money. And you mention your name and tell, and tell you, oh, you work here. And that alone will catch your attention. They tell you, somebody has brought your name. Some, your neighbor who doesn't like you has brought your name here. So, in order for us to do this, you send this amount of money. 
and let us, you know, work things out for you for you to to negate it. I've had calls from two church members like that before. I don't be afraid. <laughs> this is <laughs> they are just frosters trying to take your money. Yes, it's true that there are a lot of frosters around, but we still must have compassion. Hallelujah. Must have compassion. Me, sometimes when I give the people the money, I tell them, look, if you are misbehaving, it's between you and God. Me, I'm doing what God has told me to do. To be compassionate to people. Hallelujah. So the church must be compassionate. That's why one of these days, we must organize ourselves and go to an orphanage and go and clean the place. And, oh, I thought I'll hear amen for that. It's very spiritual, though. It's not just receiving balal anointing. They are not the only spiritual things in the kingdom of God. That one I know you like. We can organize ourselves to go to an orphanage, spend the Saturday there, clean the place, play with the children. Some of these orphanages, they don't, the children they don't get anybody to play with them. Their staff are not enough. So it's beating and, you know, those kind of things. Those are the things that they no time to play with you and to make you feel loved. No, 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 no. That's why as a church, we will put up a proper orphanage. Proper orphanage. Well equipped. Children well taken care of. To whatever level of education you wish to go to. You see a proper orphanage, you some people will wish that they were orphans. <laughs> That's where children believe. The way they take care of the children. Everybody has a sponsor in Europe or something. You can be receiving for as a child pocket money of $200 every month and stuff like that. They live better than most people who have two, three parents. And they live way better. I know people there. They went through everything. Went to university in the US. Did masters. That's That's a proper orphanage. And may God give us the grace to replicate it. And even better it. Hallelujah. So the church must be a place of compassion. It must be a place of nurturing. Women are are noted for nurturing. They are noted for nurturing. One day when my daughter was, now I was three years old, I was driving her to school in the morning. She had reached that age where she used to ask a lot of questions. When I'm alone with her in the car, I know from the beginning of the drive to the end, I would answer like 20 questions before. So we're going, and she asked, Daddy, can I ask you a question? I was like, hey, since when did you need permission to ask a question? I mean, the questions, they flow like a machine gun. Can I ask you a question? But a lot of times when the children ask, can I ask you a question? I mean, what is coming is a bomb. Children can ask some of the most difficult questions. Can you... The question hits you and you shake your head. You don't even know where to start. Say, can I ask you? I say, yes, ask me the question. You know the question she asked me? He said, Daddy, who is Satan's mommy? I just lifted my head like that. I quiet. I was trying to think. And she was at the back seat. All I saw was that she had stood up and stretched her neck. More like man of God. <laughs> I need an answer. Hey! Who is Satan's mommy? So I thought, ah. I said, Satan doesn't have a mommy. 
then she gave me a revelation. She said, aha, that is why he does bad things. He doesn't have a mommy to tell him, stop it, stop it, stop it, when he's doing bad things. That's why we need some women in the church who put Satan in his place. You understand? Yeah. That was a revelation for me. I was like, yeah, it's true. It is the mummies who do stop it, stop it, stop it. The fathers we are in the background, it's when it becomes serious that we come in. It's a very good strategy. Very, very good strategy. Because it gets to a point, the mummy stop it you know, doesn't have any effect again. So you need some reserve, you understand? When you were small, when you misbehave, you say, when daddy comes home, I... It's like, you have fever and gogomiasis until he comes. That day you bath early. Go and sit down. Waiting for judgment. To be pronounced on you. Hey, when we were small. My father never used to call us by our names. We were four children. He used to whistle. If he's looking for the first one, he'll whistle once. Second one, twice. Me, he whistled three. Three, three, three. I know it's me. Last one, three, 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 four. Like that. When my father calls you by your name, you know that, oh God, <laughs> trouble don't come. Oh. Hey! <laughs> Even when I grew up, when my father calls me by my name, it's like a shiver. So it's a very good strategy. Oh, I go, my mother, every time she would do all the pinching and this and this and that. Go to a touch, I you cry, you talk too much. So it's good for the fathers to, to be reserved. Yeah. So that you come in when things are serious. Hallelujah. So, so women are known for nurturing. And they have a, a, a natural predisposition for that. If it was true that women shouldn't talk in church, they should be silent in church, then we would withdraw all our Sunday school, children's service teachers, and then we'll take Caesar, Pastor Alpha, Kofi, you will carry the babies, make sure they don't cry. <laughs> uh, because the women are supposed to be silent. They are not supposed to talk in the church. So they come, they are quiet. Because that one too is a church, oh. Where two or three are gathered, church, those doing there, they are the pastors of the church. Then my father shouldn't preach there because she's the one who preaches in the children's service. And she shouldn't preach. You should look for men to preach. Hallelujah. So the church should be a place of nature. Nature means bringing up. Nature also means disciplining when it's necessary. I'll talk about church discipline one of these days. There is a place for disciplining in church. You see, a lot of things in nature, when you leave them, they will go into a natural state of entropy. Disorderliness. So discipline must be placed to reverse that natural state of entropy. Disorderliness. Discipline. The, the Bible prescribes discipline. When people misbehave. There was a time Paul even sentenced somebody. He said, deliver such a one unto Satan. The person had misbehaved. Ah, they talk, 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 talk. He didn't listen. He said, deliver him. Or said, give him to sit up for the destruction of his body. So there's discipline in the church. So the church must be a place of nature. You are growing people and disciplining them, pruning them at the same time. Number four, the church 
should be a place, number three, the church should be a place of nourishment. When I talk about food, nourishment, we think of women. Hallelujah. Majority of the caterers in this world are, are females. It's because it's a natural thing with women. Cooking. Feeding people. It's a place of nourishment. So if we are the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is feminine, then maybe those who teach the word are the mammary glands. Because that's where the nourishment comes from. Whether you are a man or a woman or whatever, don't get offended. <laughs> it is a place of nourishment where people are fed with the word of God. People are grown in the word of God. Alright? So the church must display feminine characteristics. And there are many, but these are only three that I want to talk about today. Now I want to move to the, the wedding bit. Alright? The fact that the church is a bride. I've established the fact that the church is feminine. It must have feminine attributes. But let's talk about the fact that the church is supposed to be a bride. Now, when you look at Jewish culture, a lot of things in the Bible are based on Jewish culture. When you look at Jewish culture, there are four stages of every marriage. At the first stage, the father looks for a bride for his son. So he looks around for a bride. So when he finds the bride, the second stage is that you pay the price for the bride. The third stage is that the son goes to the house of the bride to go and fetch the bride. The fourth stage is that there is a wedding ceremony and a wedding feast. Hallelujah. Now, let's read Ephesians chapter 5. Let's start from verse 25. Ephesians 5, 25. Ephesians 5, 25. The husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Next. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Next. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Somebody say a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Let's read Revelation chapter 19. Let's start from verse 7. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. It said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife had made herself ready. Next. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Next. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he has said unto me, These are the true saints of God. Hallelujah. So these two scriptures tell us clearly that there is a, a certain relationship between Christ and the church. The church is supposed to be the bride of Christ. The church is not yet the bride of Christ. I give you four stages in marriage in Jewish culture. The first one, the father looks for a bride for the son. Alright? And that first stage of that marriage has taken place already. God the Father has located the church as a bride for his son. The second stage is that the price is paid. The bride price is paid. And that price has been paid. And ironically, it was the blood of the same son that was used to pay the bride price for the church. So stage one, done. Stage two, done. 
So right now, we are actually at stage 2, like post stage 2 of the steps in the marriage. Because in the third step, the son goes to the house of the bride to go and fetch it. Or to go and fetch her. In Ghana, it's the best man who goes to the house of the bride. To go and fetch the bride to bring to the wedding ceremony. In Jewish culture, the groom himself goes to the house of the bride to go and fetch the bride. And that is symbolic of the rapture, which is yet to come. Jesus will come and come and fetch the church. Take the bride away. Then we'll be prepared for the fourth stage, which is the marriage ceremony, which is what I read in Revelation 19, and the marriage supper, or that uh, marriage feast. Hallelujah. So how would you describe the stage between stage 2 and stage 3? It is courtship. So at the moment... We are betrothed to Christ. But the marriage hasn't taken place yet. So it's like a courtship. It's like we are in a relationship. Hallelujah. So that is the stage in which we are now. That is the stage in which we are now. We are in a courtship. And during courtship, That is when you decide whether or not this marriage is worth it. In courtship, you can break up. You can decide that this thing is not going to work. And it depends on certain things. Which I'll talk about. So he said, blessed is he who is part of this thing. Even though it's the whole body, the body is made up of individuals. And some people can take themselves out of this thing if they want to. They decide, I don't know, this thing called Christianity is not correct. I want to break up. I've had enough of it. So we are in a courtship stage of our relationship with Christ. Now, when you are in courtship, getting ready for marriage, there are certain things that are expected. There are certain things that are expected. One, faithfulness. The church is expected to be faithful. The church is expected to be faithful. How would you feel you are engaged to somebody to get married and the person is still fixated on her ex? You know who our ex is? The world. And you are still fixated on your... It's one of the most painful things. We have had to deal with a lot of relationship issues. This is one of the most difficult to deal with. When a gentleman realizes that, no, I am the one on the scene, but her heart is still with some ex, be somewhere. And sometimes you have situations like that. It is very, very, very painful. You, are, you don't want to break up with a girl. But at the same time, it's like you are suffering. Knowing that, in spite of the fact, if you, you, you measure the labometer, your reading is like five. At least you pass. And there's somebody at nine. The person calls her and the way she lights up. You are jealous. Your heart is breaking. Like, oh, what is wrong with me? How many of you have seen situations like that before? Hey, you have not seen some. How many of you have been in situations like that before? <laughs> 
This is when everybody's hand is down. <laughs> but, but these are realities. I'm just trying to tell you how God feels or how Jesus feels when we are still flirting with the world and flirting with the things of the world. He has come to pay bright price. He's paid bright price with his own blood. Yet you are still fixated on your ex. People have committed suicide because of some of these things. So the, the girl's heart is somewhere. And sometimes when somebody's heart is on, it's like you, know, you can't do anything about it. You do whatever. You give gifts to them. Their heart is fixed. Is that? And sometimes some of these things, in, in reality, they are as a result of soul ties. Let me talk about soul ties small. It will help somebody. Soul ties. When we disobey God in our relationships, we create soul ties. Sometimes we think, oh, as for God is a kick. Why is he saying that we should not have sex when we are not married? Why did he put the feelings there? If you don't want us to explore the feelings, then take away the feelings. Why did he put it there? People give all sorts of arguments. If you are going to buy something, you need to test it. With the car, test it. Make sure the brake is fine. Test. Human wisdom. You must test it to be sure everything is fine before, before you invest in a marriage. Human wisdom. Somebody agreed with me that way and I said, what about the toothbrush? When you go to the shop, shop right, you are going to buy toothbrush, you have to Pepsi dent in your pocket. There's a blue one, there's a red one, there's a green one. So you take the blue one, put Pepsi dent. Ah, the bristles are too soft. You put it there. Say, aha, this is the one that I like. If you settle on the blue one, you are told 20 people tested it today. Will you feel comfortable to take that one? So it's not everything you buy that you are allowed to test. This was human wisdom. This is godly wisdom. <laughs> everything you must test. Go and test the toothbrush to a list. We don't listen to God. We don't obey God. God said, don't do this, don't do that. He is wiser than all of us. He is combined. He knows there are consequences. Because sex is not just a physical activity. Those of you struggling with the flesh, and you know that you are on the verge, I beg you, don't cross that verge. Hold on. Whatever you've done, Christ will forgive you. Hallelujah. That's why the blood is there. As I say, some people, they've taken their blood. It's like in a bucket. In a corner in their room. You go and say, now they are big jarring. Put a sponge in it. Appropriating the blood. You plan your, your prayer for forgiveness even before you commit the sin. You know the scriptures you use. You take God through Bible study. And your wife said this. and said, Lord, you said. Faithful. Not just be faithful and just. Forgive us of all lessons and kings us of all righteousness. Look, if you have neglect, I implore you, please, if you're already in it, repent and stop misbehaving. Hallelujah. Now, that you don't hear preachings like this, oh, I am a very archaic preacher, I know. But the God I serve is also a very archaic God. That's why it's called the ancient of days. So I like being an archaic preacher. 
you are on the verge, please don't cross the line. If you are already in it, there's grace available for you to come out. There's grace. Because you, you are set up yourself for something very dangerous. Sex is not just a physical activity. There are spiritual dimensions to it. When you sleep with somebody, you are dying your soul and your spirit to the person. It's as simple as that. And that is why it is reserved for marriage. Because when you marry, you already won. So you are just finishing the union. You are just completing it. But thank God for the blood. Hallelujah. You see, the interesting thing about the blood of Jesus is that the blood of doves and lambs that were used in the Old Testament, it was used to cover sin. But the blood of Jesus blots away the sin. That's the difference. Blots it away. It wipes it away. When you cover the thing, it's still there. It's just that, it's like, we are pretending it's not there. Something is still there, you just put this in on it. But when you put parazone on it, and you take a mop, you wipe it away. It's not there. You can't see it, and it's been disinfected as well. That's what the blood of Jesus does. Total cleansing. Because this thing about soul ties is serious. People have committed suicide because of that. They just don't understand. You see, you see people in a relationship. The man beats, the boy beats the girl. Treats her badly. In a kind of relationship where the guy does something wrong, but the girl ends up apologizing. The guy is the one who has done something wrong, but the girl will end up apologizing. It's like she just can't break off. He threatens to break up with her and her life is a wire. Because there's a soul tie somewhere. So these things, people get married, deep into marriage, they'll go and meet some ex somewhere. Just this week, some guy confessed to me, he's married with a child. He's a man of God. My first girlfriend. The first person I slept with. He said just three months ago, he's married with a wife, child, they are living together nicely. Sunday, he wears his ring, goes to church nicely, like any of you. He said the lady called him. He said, it's like throughout his life, when he's going to think about lustful things, it's that lady he thinks about. And that lady also got married just a year ago. And she called him, I'm coming to Accra. At that time, he was supposed to travel outside Accra. So his wife knew he was going to travel outside Accra. And she said she was coming to Accra. So he left home, the wife thinking he had traveled outside Accra. But they arranged and spent the weekend in a hotel. Committed adultery. One whole weekend. He said, I don't know what to do. Anytime I'm thinking of something bad, this is the person that comes to my mind. Even though he's married. So he's so tight. And I showed him what to do. Hallelujah. The way it's easy to form soul ties, it's also very easy to break them. Sometimes breaking things is easier than forming. If you want to break down this building, it won't take the same amount of time it took to build it. I just showed him what to do. Step number one, true repentance in your heart. That's the first step. Second step, you pray for God to break. That one, you don't need hands to be laid on you. It's not hands laying prayer. 
When you were doing it, there was no third person there. It was just between the two of you. You don't need another person to come and break it for you. You know how you can break your thing. Hallelujah. Sometimes I recommend that the person goes on a fast. Let's go on a fast. Maybe one day, two days. And just pray to God. God, break any ungodly ties that have been created. It's not dramatic. You won't roll on the ground. Nothing. But it will be broken. And it's necessary because... Let me take you through a bit of chemistry. Carbon. It can bind to four things. In some things, it will bind with just two or three or whatever. The same carbon. Methane is CH4, right? Carbon bonding to four hydrogen. If you take the strength of each of the four bonds and you compare it to the strength of the bond between carbon and oxygen in carbon monoxide, where there is just one oxygen, the bond in carbon monoxide is stronger. Why? Because there are no other bonds anywhere. When you marry and you have other bonds elsewhere, your bond with your spouse will be like just like one of those bonds. But if you break this prayer I'm talking about and break all the rest, and concentrate all the strength into bonding with one person, that bond is going to be stronger. So as for what you've done in the past, it doesn't matter. We have the power of the cleansing blood. Not the blood that covers. It's the cleansing blood. So we cleanse it. You blot it away. And it's as if, when he cleanses it, it's as if it never happened. Because you cleanse and disinfect everything. No remnant of it. But then you also have to pray that prayer for God to break all those ties so that you leave one for just one person so that your bond in your marriage will be stronger. Hallelujah. I pray that any soul ties will be broken in the name of Jesus. So faithfulness. And he mentioned in Ephesians 5 when we talked about what we read earlier that the church should be without spot, without wrinkle, without spot. So aside the church being faithful to Christ, it must be without spot. Without spot means no contamination. The church shouldn't be contaminated from what it was planted to be. We shouldn't import strange doctrines, strange teachings. Without wrinkle means no distortion. A wrinkle is a distortion. No distortion. Mustn't distort. And then the fourth characteristic of an expectant or, 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 or somebody who is going to be a bride is that you should be in a state of expectancy. That is how the church is supposed to be. You should be looking forward to the bridegroom coming to fetch us. Unfortunately, when we talk about rapture, people's heart begin to beat. Like we are afraid. When we hear a message on rapture, hey, that night you can't sleep. But if you're a true believer, you actually be in a state of expectancy. The reason why we are not excited about the rapture is that we love the world too much. Ah, kebab is nice. Fufu is nice. Ampesi is nice. Hey, are we going to leave all these things? There's better food in heaven. At least we know we'll eat because there'll be a feast. We'll be eating in heaven. I wonder what the menu will be. <laughs> Ten course gourmet meal. <laughs> you eat it and realize that fugu is nothing. <laughs> it's nothing at all. So we should be in a state of expectancy. One of the reasons you realize that, and I'm getting ready to run up, 
One of the reasons you realize that we're not giving a lot of very vivid descriptions of heaven is that God doesn't want your wanting to come to heaven to be based on the beauty of the place. It should be based on your love for him. If you are giving us very vivid descriptions, hey, everybody, I mean, we have a little idea. You would expect that since heaven is the ultimate destination for all of us, there should be a lot of scripture. There are few that actually give us a glimpse of what heaven looks like. When I talk about the afterlife, I showed you that it's possible that heaven, the new Jerusalem, will be in the shape of a cube or a pyramid. Because it talks about length, breadth, it talks about height, it gives the dimensions. And that place is not going to be a very big place. So, to tell you that it's not like Obiabeko will be like that. Somebody did the measurement and realized that the size of a new heaven will be like the like New York. The new Jerusalem will be like New York. And it's true, more people will go to hell than heaven. That one is a fact. Bible says hell is enlarging. They are doing renovation and expansion works every day. Because people are going there by the day. As I'm speaking right now, somebody is being prepared to go to the mortuary. Majority of those going to the mortuary right now are going to hell. That's why you and I must evangelize on the world. It's a good missionary ground. When people are on admission, especially medical block, the myth is that when you come to medical block, it means you are going to die. That's a good time to preach Christ to them. Hallelujah. Don't be shy. Some of you, ONG, you take very intimate details from patients and you are not shy. Sexual history, menstrual history. How many sexual partners have you had? When they were teaching us how to crack ONG, I was like, hey, don't have to ask all of these things. When you have sex, are you satisfied? How many sexual partners have you had in your life? And we ask all these things because we must pass. Exams. We are not shy. By simple question, do you know Christ? It's like so heavy on our tongues. It's so difficult for us to ask people. I pray that today a burden will be placed upon your heart to start speaking to people about Christ. People ask me, why hematology? Why did you decide to do hematology? Why not something else? So I ask somebody, what do you want me to do? I said, do ONG because there's a lot of money in a woman's pelvis. That's what they say. ONG is a cash cow. There's a term. There's a lot of money in a woman's pelvis. I told him my decision to do hematology wasn't an academic one. It's not like hematology was my favorite subject in school. I didn't mind it, but it's not like I love hematology. I like blood. <laughs> I sat down and did some calculations and I realized that I will serve the kingdom of God better if I decide to go to do hematology. And I'll give you the reasons why. One, if you are doing hematology, I'm doing recruitment now. Because some of us, we are exiting. So, God willing, if everything goes well, by this year, I'm going to full-time ministry. So that when I wake up in the morning, I can pray for you one by one. Six hours praying, making sure things are happening in your life. Because the church is growing. Time has come for me let other things go so that I can concentrate on you and pastor you well. Do what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. Visit you well and you know. And now 
people have gotten to the stage where marriages and stuff like counseling and stuff like it takes time. There's a wedding coming up very soon. We'll announce it very soon. Next week, I'm starting the counseling with them. And it takes time and energy. So I have to let some things go. Hallelujah. Yeah, as for the lecturing, we'll continue to lecture. But as for looking under people's eyes and pressing, pressing people's stomachs, we'll leave it for you, the upcoming ones, to do. So I sat down and looked at hematology. By the structure of hematology, you don't work at night. There's no night duty. You don't work at night. Unlike ONG, surgery, and internment, and pediatrics. When you go to night. No, no, there's nothing like night duty. And I realized that, and then most of your weekends too are free. Are free over the weekend. So I realized that if I'm going to be able to combine medicine and ministry for a very long time, this is a good place to go. Because if I'm going to preach on a weekday, most likely it will be in the evening. And I don't work in the evening. So it's either evening or a weekend, which is also free. That's the reason I've been able to combine the two for a very long time. If I went to something like surgery, oh, I would have stopped like a long time ago. Because it would have been impossible to do the things that I do. Secondly, the kind of diseases we treat in hematology, eh, a lot of the patients, we know they will die eventually. The leukemias and the lymphoma. We just prolong their lives for them. We add some years to their lives. Some people, the worst hematological malignancy you can get is AML, acute myeloid leukemia. And then when you diagnose like this, no, you know. It's sad when you, when you look under the microscope and you see the myeloblasts. You look at the age, five years old. You know the person is going. So for them, two weeks, three weeks, three months. There's one woman who is just defying logic. Two years, she's still alive. I'm undiable and I'm unkillable. You just define logic like that. And in the process, I've come to realize that those who are prayerful, those who are spiritual, they are the ones who defy the logic. There was a woman who came with stage 4 lymphoma. We diagnosed it from the marrow. That means it's gone into the marrow already. That's stage 4. She said, this is your chemo. I won't take home for my hair to come off. For me to become black. So through the I can't. You, I'm going to talk to my God. She went and talked to her God. Under normal circumstances, stage 4 lymphoma, without treatment, top move, 6 months, you are dead. 8 years down the line, the woman is still alive. Walking around. God still works miracles. She's alive. She's walking around. With, there's no sign of the lymphoma. It's gone. She only comes because she has some thalassemia B2 somewhere. <laughs> That's what the lymphoma is gone. We, we can't find it again. I realized that by the nature of the things we treat, most of the people you are dealing with are at the crossroads. They are going to exit the world very soon. Hell is here. No, hell is on the left. Hell is here. Heaven is here. <laughs> the lefties, don't, don't get angry with me. I was born a lefty, but my grandmother changed me to a right handed person. So I'm, I'm, I'm right handed but left footed. So, decassation. <laughs> like that. So heaven is here, hell is here. And I was like, look, if I find myself in this area, I would have positioned myself strategically to direct them heavenwards. 
When somebody has malaria and you witness Christ to him, he knows coatem. Will heal him. When you have leukemia, you know that Charlie, your hand is your life is in the hand of God. And if God decides that you should come home, you should be ready to meet him. So I saw it as a fertile missionary ground. Look, as believers, if we say we have given our lives to Christ, what it means is that no decision is ours. Your life is not in your hands, it's in Christ's hands. And your decisions in life must be taken in consultation with Christ. We shouldn't take money-driven decisions in life. They must be godly decisions. And so we must be excited about the second coming of Christ. We shouldn't be scared when we preach about rapture. It's like, oh, so I will see my friends again. Evangelize to them. Speak to them about Christ. So that that day nobody will want to catch your leg for an illegal ride into heaven. Some people will try and catch people. But you see, you won't be able to catch the person because it's the glorified body that will be going. The glorified body that can pass through walls and stuff like that. You can't hang on it and escape into heaven. So hell is enlarging. Too many people are going to hell. Too many people in your house are going to go to hell. Too many people in your house. When you sit down today and you take a census of your family, how many of them do you think are heaven bound? Too many of them are going to go to hell. And so as much as we are excited about the second coming of Christ, it must ginger us on to evangelism. Witnessing Christ to people. If you have really been transformed by Christ, it shouldn't be difficult inviting somebody to this good thing that you have tasted. When you check out a good cream, body cream, and it makes your body nice, fine. The ladies, it's very easy for you to recommend. Oh, try this. this, this oh, are you sure? You, this, uh, you, you market it nicely because it's a good thing. The gentleman, when you find a good barber, you see somebody whose barber is misbehaving with his head. Say, Charlie, leave this place and let me show you this corner. When you see a nice car, you discuss it amongst yourselves. Discuss specs. Television specs. Jesus has a lot of powerful specs. Discuss Jesus specs with people. Hallelujah. I pray that the Lord will liberate you and remove the fear of speaking about Christ from you. Too many of your friends are going to go to hell. And so the bride must be faithful. It must not be contaminated. It must not be distorted. And the bride must be in a state of expectancy. I want us to stand to our feet this morning. I want you to think through your mind. There are some people you know who are not ready for the second coming of Christ. They are not born again. If Christ should appear now, if you are truly born again, you shouldn't have any doubt in your mind as to whether you are going to heaven or not. One of these at the cell group levels, we are going to have a Bible study on the assurance of salvation. That some people, they've given their life to Christ like a hundred times. It's because they don't understand what it means to give your life to Christ. You give your life to Christ once. The fact that you went to sin after you gave your life to Christ doesn't mean you are no longer a child of God. 
After that, what you, you, what you have to do is to pray for forgiveness of sins. It's not to give your life to Christ all over again. Hallelujah. So if you are born again, it means you are sure you are going to heaven. But there are a lot of people around us who don't have that assurance. First of all, with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you are here and by chance, I just want a situation where we, we are all on the same page. If the rapture we are talking about should hit right now, we expect the whole room to be empty from the front right to the back. We all want to be on the same page. This is church, but just in case you are here, you are not sure of your salvation. I want you to lift up your right hand wherever you are. We just want to be sure. I just want to do this in 30 seconds. I just want to be sure. It's church, so you expect everybody to be born again, but just in case, before we zoom into the prayer, if you are not sure of your salvation, you are not 100% sure of where you are going if you should die. You are not 100% sure of where you will go if the rapture should hit. I want you to lift up your right hand wherever you are. I want to pray with you. Thank God everybody here is born again. Hallelujah. Now we want to pray for the people around you. We want to pray for the grace for salvation to locate them. We want to pray for an, that some of them, they need an encounter with God. Somebody like Paul, nobody could have evangelized to him for him to listen. Jesus himself had to appear to him. Some of you have relatives who, are, who belong to other religions. It would take a divine encounter. Jesus showing himself to that person one way or the other. Some dream somewhere, some vision somewhere. You want to lift up your voice and pray for lost souls. You want to pray for the saving grace of Jesus Christ to locate them. Just lift up your voice. Begin to pray right now. In the name of Jesus. Lift up your voice. Begin to pray. If you know the people, call them by name and drag them to the cross right now in prayer. We pray, Lord, drag them to the cross right now in prayer in the name of Jesus. Our friends that are not saved, drag them to the cross in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the Living God. Many souls are being lost in hell. You want to pray that Lord, let your grace for salvation look in these people. Maybe it's your father, maybe it's your mother, maybe it's your roommate, maybe it's a friend of yours, maybe it's a business partner. People that you would want to see with you in heaven. You just want to lift up prayer for them right now in the name of Jesus. Whatever chains are holding them bound, you want to break those chains right now. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the Living God. Whatever is holding them bound, you want to release them right now. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, release them right now. In the name of Jesus. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded their eyes. There are some of them that are blind to the gospel. You want to pray for their eyes to be opened. The reality of the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Pray that their hearts will be primed, their spirits will be primed to receive Jesus Christ into their lives as their Lord and their personal Savior. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the Living God. I want to pray for the church, the bride of Christ. I said in my teaching that the church must be faithful, the church must not be contaminated. 
the church must not be distorted. We want to pray for this church, this local church. That Lord will not deviate from your basic foundations, the fundamentals of the faith. Because some churches start well. But after a while, strange teachings find their way into the church. Strange doctrines and strange actions find their way into the church. We want to pray that Lord, let it not be so with the overflow worship center. Let us continue in the steadfastness of sound doctrine. Let our actions be based on the word and not human wisdom and human teachings. We want to reject doctrines of demons. Look, this prayer we are praying is a very, very serious prayer. I've seen churches that started well. I've seen men of God that started well. But after a while, you look at them and you don't see what you used to see before. The church just changes and it becomes all about money and all about wealthy things. We want to pray that, Lord, we want to major in the majors and minor in the minors. We don't want to turn things around and major in the minors and minor in the majors. Lift up your voice. Begin to pray for this Pray passionately for this church. That Lord preserve us. Lord preserve us. Lord preserve us. Lord preserve us. Let your spirit continue to rest upon us. In the name of Jesus. Let us continue in sound doctrine. Let us continue in sound doctrine. We come against the infiltration. By false teaching. False doctrine. See this church is going to grow. All sorts of people are going to come. We are going to have branches. So sometimes it will be difficult to hear affairs and monitor things very closely. I want to pray that the fundamentals shall never be shaken. We will never deviate from the word of God, which is the power on which this church has been established. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who continue to experience your presence, who continue to experience your power. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the living God, Lord, let your grace be sufficient for us. And your strength be made perfect, even in the times of our weakness. I want you to pray for me as a head pastor of this church. I want to pray for God to preserve me. For God to preserve me in the right path. Sometimes church members think, oh, all is well with the pastor. They refuse to cover the pastor with prayer. The enemy comes in and corrupts him like that. I want to pray that it will not be so with this church. That the me that you know or the me that you saw, that made you decide to be a member of this church. May the Lord preserve me and even take me to a higher level and a higher depth. Just lift up your voice. Begin to pray for me. In the name of Begin to pray for me for preservation. That God himself will preserve me. You don't want to come to church and on Sunday I'm preaching some strange things that are not in accordance with scripture. You don't want to come one day and realize after implementing certain worldly things in the church, things that don't go with the word of God. You don't come and train me rationalizing things, rationalizing sin, rationalizing evil, making way for evil to thrive. Pray that the Lord will sustain me. Pray that the Lord will preserve me. Cover me with the blood of Jesus. Cover me with the blood of Jesus. 
Information on how you can receive more teachings from the man of God, reach us on 024 873 7250. Stay blessed.